Welcome back to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Liam. And I'm Ollie. And for those of you that don't know, or for any new listeners, each episode we take a topic that we know very little about and we give ourselves a week to read and research all about it. The idea is that we do the hard work and then we share with you the most important pieces of information. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, but we're not experts in anything that we talk about on this pod. Um, this week is is as good an example of that as anything. It's just a summary of our findings, uh, but hopefully by sharing some of that knowledge with you listeners, uh, we can all learn just a little bit more about a whole lot of things. Definitely. Let's get on with this week's topic, which is our listener choice episode. This topic is anesthesia. Liam, this week's topic, as we just said, it's the listener choice. Um, we put out a vote, didn't we, on our Instagram, and this came back as the, the winning topic. So we should probably give a quick shout out to Hannah LeClue, who chose the topic. Yeah, thank you for choosing Anesthesia. Thank you to the listeners, I guess, that voted for it. This is a, a good an example of anything about what this podcast is all about. I'm pretty sure everybody knows what this is, but nobody really knows anything about it, do they? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. And we just asked Hannah, didn't we? We just said, oh, Hannah, you know, just what, what was the reason for putting this forward? And she had a pretty real life example and reason for, for wanting to have this covered as part of the listener choice, didn't she? Yeah. So uh, so Hannah's grandma has gone in for surgery and had to, you know, they, they needed to use anesthesia in the surgery. So uh, she wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So hopefully we'll, we'll help you out there. But more importantly, I hope your grandma's OK, I guess. Yeah, uh, but- most most definitely. And yeah, just, just thanks for the message as well, Hannah's saying she loves the podcast and she's listened to every episode. Good on you. Thanks very much. So Liam, let's jump in then. What is it that you knew about this topic before we started to do our reading and research? Well, I know I've been put to sleep a few times. Okay. So I know enough that I know what we're talking about. Uh, I, I do know that. So when, when they uh, inject you, they, they um, cause I've, I've had it done a few times. They, they ask you about like what your day is, or, or you know what you've done at the weekend while you're falling asleep, to, like okay. take your mind off it. Yeah. So when they did it to me though, the, the most recent time I had surgery on my shoulder, and uh, I said, uh, right, just just don't talk to me. Just just tell me to count to ten, and you know, and that's when I should fall asleep. So they said, all right, count to ten. I said, right, I'm going to try and fight this. So I counted, you know, past ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventy. I told the guy, look. I was a rhino. I said, I'm a rhino. I'm going to need some more of this. I'm not going anywhere. And then I was fast. I had no idea. I was out. <laughs> Five hours later, I woke up. I know what it's like to have it done. I know what it's like to fight against it. Um, but I couldn't tell you nothing else. It's white. It was a white liquid they injected me with. Um, and, you know, I felt a little bit sick when I woke up. But no, I have no idea otherwise. What about yourself? Yeah, not, not too much about this one. I have been put to sleep as well with it, but no, I was knocked out way quicker than you by the sounds of it. But it's it's something that, that I've heard of, no real idea about you know how how it's really administered or, or where it really came from in the first place. So I was I was really looking forward to it. I know there are a large number of people though who are surprisingly afraid of anesthesia. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And sure. so the whole idea of like going under or being put to sleep can start people to feel, you know, a little bit anxious. So I don't know if anybody's listening now thinking, oh, I'm not too keen on this as a, as a topic for you to be uh, to be covering it. But the two most common things are people are worried about either not waking up 
or either not being fully put to sleep when, yeah. they, when, when they're having anesthesia. So we'll cover those um, a little bit later on. So you then know if that is something, is it a rational fear or, or not? So we'll get onto that a little bit, but in a little bit more detail later. And um, also it's worth saying anesthesia doesn't just mean being put to sleep. Is it? And we'll mention no. it later. You know, you're saying about the fear of, oh, when you say that, oh, I don't want to put to sleep. It, it isn't just that. It, you know, there's a few other, you know, and you might have heard of them or had them done even. Um, but yeah, you know, learning that was, you know, did not know it beforehand. I think a good thing is that we said at the end of last episode is, is it going to be anesthesia or anesthetics? And there's a slight difference oh, yeah. between the two, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that leads real nicely, actually. It's almost like you set me up there to, like, saying what anesthesia is. <laughs> so, you know, as with most things we talk about, there's a whole bunch of different definitions. So there's my one, and you can have a go at your one afterwards. They're obviously always very similar. Anesthesia is the method of using substances called anesthetics to reduce or block pain during surgery and other medical procedures. Different combinations of drugs and gases are used to create different levels of insensibility. So the anesthesia is the is the thing that is happening the anesthetics are the drugs that are being given to you yeah so i think the overarching thing is anesthesia isn't it yeah yeah that's right and i i quite like this this seemed to make sense and resonate with me where it's saying that anesthesia is the state of controlled temporary loss of sensation or awareness that is used for medical procedures and it, it can range can't it and we'll come on to that a little bit about depending on you, the drug, and what's happening to you in terms of that medical procedure. Yeah, anesthesia, actually, the etymology of it, it, it means loss or without sensation. An comes from the, the word without, and asthesis means feeling or sensation. So anesthesis means without feeling or without sensation. Um, so, yeah, basically what we've just said anesthesia is. And for any avoidance of doubt there, those words are rooted in Greek history, aren't they? Always. As always, always. with our etymology. <laughs> so even, always, them and the Romans, they do everything. <laughs> so even though I think it's, it's only you know, not been around as long as a term as that word, as anesthesia, since, since the Greeks, but it's, yeah, that, that's where it's derived from, its etymology. And without, and anesthesia, without sensation. So there's more. So I, I mentioned it a minute ago. There, I think a lot of people think it just means being put to sleep, doesn't it? And like, oh, I'm going to have a knee replacement or something and I'm going to have to be put completely to sleep. But there are actually levels of anesthesia. Um, three real ones, aren't there? Uh, yeah. that, that, you know, people might have had this and didn't even realize that that's what was happening. Because, um, you know, this can happen. At, you know, the lowest level can happen all the time. Um, but do you want to just rattle through what they are? Yeah. So. The, the lowest form of it is then it's local, local anesthesia. We have lo local anesthetics. And that's where you just numb just a, a small area that's going to be treated. And it's, this is the mildest form of anesthesia. And it's, it's just a small part of you that gets numbed. You're, you're very much awake um, as part of this. And yeah, you're fully conscious about what is going on. Yeah. So, I mean, people might have that. That's the sort of thing that, you know, they might just rub a cream on you to numb something. You know, if you're thinking of an injection yeah. or you, I can't remember whether they do it when you give blood but, or, or you have a blood test, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, that is anesthesia. They, they are 
you know, loss of sensation. They are stopping it, you feeling something just in a tiny little area. So yeah, I think I think people might have had that without yeah, even or even like dental work. So you get if you're having something done with your teeth or something, you might get uh, you know an injection into your, your gums or something into your into your teeth to then make sure you've got that loss of sensation. Then the next one up is known as regional. Uh, yeah, so this is where like a much larger part of the body is numbed. Um, not you're not completely put to sleep, but you might have considerable loss of function because obviously they need to use your whatever your yeah. arm or your legs very common one is like an epidural when you have when you, when you give birth so this is where they, they inject you don't they, or they inject a female uh, as she's giving birth and you can't feel anything sort of below the waist i think isn't it so yeah. like half your body is numb um you can get things called nerve blocks where they block like an entire part of your body off so when i had my so- shoulder surgery i actually had this I had a nerve block in, so they injected my neck. There's a nerve in your neck that runs down your arm and they injected the nerve in my neck while I was awake, by the way. So that was pretty <laughs> horrific because I could see, I could see the needle. I could see it on like a screen where they were, um, what's that thing called when you have a baby and they- Like an ultrasound? Yeah, they ultrasounded my neck and it was up on the screen. They said, look, we'd like to do this while you're asleep, but actually it's easier to do while you're awake. So do you mind us doing it? <laughs> I was watching I was watching an ultrasound of my own neck. I was like, oh, that's my neck. Like, yeah, look, these are your nerves. And then in the side of the picture comes this massive needle. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so then they're obviously trying to find the nerve that runs down my arm because they're going to inject it and it just yeah. blocks off your whole arm. But they touched wh- whatever they did. They touched the wrong nerve because one of my legs just pinged up in the air. They went, oh, it's not that one. <laughs> then they, anyway, so then they injected like whatever the nerve was. Uh, so when I woke up, my entire arm was numb, could not feel I could just feel the tips of my fingers. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't feel anything else. So, you know, they probably could have done some pretty serious surgery on my arm because I wouldn't have been able to feel it. But yeah, yeah. so that's that's called regional anesthesia. Yeah. So the point there being, yeah, this this regional one, it blocks out pain and it doesn't affect your brain or your breathing, obviously. So then you can verify that that you were seeing what was happening on the ultrasound coming in. Yeah, yeah. And with this method, you are, you're usually conscious, but they can also sometimes give you sedatives. So yeah, other examples of this could be if you have like a a knee or hip replacement surgery, you might just have regional anesthetics, but it's sort of like the middle ground between the local and then the one which will come until now, which I think is maybe the one that people think of most, which is general anesthetic, isn't it? Yeah, this is full on KO you know major surgery yeah completely unconscious completely unconscious you know know, yeah basically that yeah full-on you don't know don't know what's happening they could they could be doing open heart surgery on you uh you know or brain surgery all those sorts of things that i guess would be serious and you need to be not awake for um yeah yeah absolutely yeah and the the difference being is then with this with the general anesthetic general anesthesia that you're having you then you lose complete consciousness and you lose the the ability to to breathe as well. So this is where you then need to have a tube put down you to then make sure that you can assist with your breathing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then and then this is administered via a. You told me this word earlier, and I, is it cannula? What's the word? A cannula. A cannula. Yeah. So this is that's the thing where they inject it into your vein, don't they? Yeah, um, intravenous intravenously inject you yeah um similarly with regional anesthetic as i was saying that is typically like injected but 
you know you might have an ointment you might you might even breathe something in sometimes they can do it through gas i think they put when they put um children under general anesthetic they use um gas don't they yes yeah 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 that's exactly what they do i think yeah just easier for children again just with them being scared of needles and what have you to um, yeah. to administer it via sure. a, via a gas now so they're the types this is obviously one of the biggest things we have to google this week is how does it work and this is one of the strangest things i found doing this podcast so far uh this would be something i remember i reckon and i know you've got it as well so you can say it we went onto the nhs website how do anesthetics work and you can read it read the sentence that we both sent each other earlier in the week <laughs> okay so i'll tell you now how it works so it's not clear exactly how it works <laughs> but it's known that all anesthetics stop the nerves from passing signals to the brain so that you do not feel anything. But the biggest thing there is, it is not clear exactly how it works. So you get this, this concoction of drugs that go into you and it does something and it's happy days because it's doing what it should do, but we're not entirely sure how or why. Yeah, that, that's the NHS. Like they're in charge of it and they don't know. So <laughs> who knows? A bit like the Oscars. Nobody knows in the Oscars where the name the Oscars come from plug for a previous episode if you want to go and learn about the oscars uh, <laughs> spoiler as well uh, they don't know why it's called the oscars <laughs> but just, we don't really know how anesthetics work which i thought was hilarious <clears throat> I, I suppose that the key thing there is so that what it is doing it's interrupting some nerve signals between your brain and your body and there were some super complicated videos and that, that i read up on this week which goes into far more detail around the proteins and how things are then yeah. blocked and enter into your body. But that, that goes way above what we need to be learning today. It is just that it's not entirely clear exactly how it works. I did read about like the, the concoction of the, of the drugs you're given, the, the um, anesthetics. So remember, just let's just say it again, the anesthetics are the, the drugs themselves, the mixture of drugs that you take or are given yes. or are rubbed onto your skin or, or the gas that you breathe in. Um, and then the anesthesia is the process of using those drugs. But like, it's a mixture, isn't it? Anesthetics is a mixture of drugs. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's not just one thing. It's not that you're, you're going to have this operation and say, say let's just talk about it from a general anesthetic point of view. It's not just that you just have one thing, you're knocked out and they do the surgery. There has to be a few steps to it, isn't there? And I, I think it's maybe yeah. What's what's the first part? You've got induction, haven't you? This is yeah. So this is the medication, the medication specifically to create the unconsciousness. And this is this mixture of drugs. This is what an anaesthetist will do. He's the, the or he or she. They're the um they're the doctor, aren't they? The uh the, the put you to sleep doctor. That's yeah. their job essentially. Yeah. Um and to monitor you and make sure they've given you enough. But they they will sort this mix out. Um, but yeah, the first one is indu the induction drug, which causes unconsciousness. A common one is it pro propofol pro, pro, propofol. I don't know. How you say that word. Propofol. Propofol. Is that the propofol. is that the the Michael Jackson milk that he used to like? Propofol. <laughs> is that the one that he didn't he take it each night or something? Like basically he couldn't sleep, so had to be put to sleep. Yeah, and then given something else in the morning to wake him up. Oh dear. Yeah, crazy. Okay, so we've got induction. We've also got that. So within this, so you've been put to sleep. There's also something called analgesics. Yep, that's just a posh word for painkillers, isn't it? Yeah, typically they're typically like opium based, uh, or they can be generated in a lab. Um, a, a common one is fentanyl, which 
is a bit of a big deal in America, isn't it? At the minute, it's a, like a lab-produced pain relief that um, I think they've got a bit of a problem with addiction, haven't they? Yeah. And then the third part to it really is around then muscle relaxants as well. Yeah. For example, I'm going to get this right. Succinethonium. That's an example. That's a type of drug, succinethonium, uh, which is a muscle relaxant. Interestingly, it doesn't relax. I don't know how they've done this. Apparently, they don't relax the muscles of the heart or the intestines. Like, how do yeah. they manage to get it so it relaxes everything else but that? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's important, isn't it? You need your heart to carry on going. Yeah, and th- that's a really important thing, though, because it was they, they didn't start putting muscle relaxants into it until about the 1940s, uh, because before then, patients had to have loads and loads of the other anesthetics. They had to be so deeply unconscious that their muscles relaxed. Yeah, which was obviously caused other issues, but by including muscle relaxant, it meant that you could have a slightly lighter dose, I guess, of of the the rest of the the, the sleepy drug, so that you didn't have to be so far under. Yeah. So in general, then, just on on that part there, so the way that it's administered or, or who it's administered by is a is an anaesthetist. For the American listeners, I think it's called an anesthesiologist, is what they call it. Okay. So they so they um, they're, they're the people who administer it. And the, the three parts to it where we were saying there was around induction, putting you to sleep. You've got your analgesics, your painkillers, and then you've got your muscle relaxants as well. And then you're all set for surgery. So, yeah, knowing that, that's what we then do from a modern point of view. But shall we go back and have a little, little look at the history? Because it's not always being quite as straightforward as this. But there are sort of like written scriptures and stuff that they've been trying to use anesthetics for thousands of years haven't they yeah there's evidence they were trying to use like sponges soaked with opium in the 1100s that's a long time ago isn't it yeah 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 absolutely but even even I mean, like b- before you go that even further back can't you you can go all the way back to roman times and there's yeah. evidence they they use a, a mixture called i think it's dwale d-w-a-l-e um which was a a mixture of is a mixture of boar bile, opium, mandrake juice, hemlock, and vinegar. And apparently it was brewed, uh, quote, to make a man sleep whilst men cut him. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound very nice, does it? And then even, even reading, like, even before that, there are scriptures and stuff going back, you know, in BC times, where they were saying that, you know, herbal remedies were being used. They they pretty sure they've been able to translate that people have been using some sort of herbal remedies like opium based or even alcohol is thought to be the oldest sedative that's been around. Oh, yeah. So, so it, it, it's been around, people have known and the ancient doctors have been trying to do stuff. But I think if we probably fast forward to around Victorian times, that's really where like the modern era of anesthetics really yeah, kicked so in. We're, didn't it? we're talking sort of, late 1700s early 1800s sort of times yeah sort of 200 years ago yeah um yeah but so they so before they invented the drugs though they did have methods that you know they knew that they needed to people needed to be asleep to to to, 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 you know to not be aware of what's happening not necessarily asleep so they did have methods though didn't they and they weren't always amazing man there were a lot of well, out there ideas, but I guess at the time they they probably made sense. But surgery in Victorian times was pretty brutal, and the death rate was 
pretty bad as well. But some of the things that they would then they would then try. So one of them was just biting down on a piece of wood that I heard. Yep. Just that yep. you know, it, if you bite down on this piece of wood, that would be all right. It will you know distract you from the pain that's that's actually going to take place. And that the type of surgery we were talking about then is more around amputations, isn't it? So that was that was almost like the the go to surgery yeah. at the time because they didn't have time because people weren't weren't out enough. It had to be quick. There was no t- they couldn't do the surgery we do nowadays because they yeah. just didn't have time. Yeah, because it just, was just undoable. Um, one of them, one of them used to just try and knock them out. They would just try and punch them, <laughs> knock them out. That's mad, isn't it? Another one I read was where people would just be given very very strong rum. So you would then just, you know, almost like be so drunk that you you then wouldn't be, you know, properly feeling or being aware of what was going on. There was another little bit of a weird one called it. Some surgeons would try things called counter irritants, which okay. this is where they would rub nettles on your other arm. So your other arm <laughs> would be burning, <laughs> not knowing that your other arm is being cut off. Oh, man, that's there horrendous. A, there's a method called compression which is where they would apply pressure to an artery, which would render you unconscious or cause your limb, like particular limbs to go numb. And the word, the word, um, so your main arteries in your neck are called your carotids, your carotid artery. And that word comes from the Greek word to stun. So they think even the Greeks knew that, that that was happening or could happen. So a compression technique. Yeah, if I push you in the right part of your neck, does that mean your leg goes numb and therefore I can chop your leg off? Yeah. Oh, that man. must be sort of true because they know about nerve blockers. You know, they know that there are nerves in your neck, like I was saying about my shoulder. Yes. So if you push the right nerve in my neck, does that mean my whole arm goes numb? Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. And there's one more called mesmerism or hypno- hypno- or hypnosis or basically a very similar thing. There's a Austrian physician called Franz Mesmer and this is where the term mesmerize came from, by the way, which is another bit of etymology. That's two etymologies of three I've given you now in this one episode. <laughs> uh, he believed he believed that your body had like a, a like a magnetic liquid flowing around it, and that if he could, he, if you could control it using magnets, then you could you could um, induce like feelings of not being able to feel things so yeah. this is where the term like i am mesmerized by you because we yeah. both or um magnetic attraction yeah. you know like animal magnetism and all that sort of thing uh he argued that your body had this magnet this magnet field inside it uh but if you could control that then uh y- you know you could induce unconsciousness uh, so that's called mesmerism uh yeah. but again again no so what what they were then <laughs> trying to do was the the doctors or surgeons they were coming up with like cock concoctions of narcotics or opiums marijuana alcohol but the issue that they were having is that they would either make the patients throw up or in the worst cases die and it was just you know your your option was leaving it really really late wasn't it you didn't really want to have your surgery because the rate of success was so low that people yeah. were trying to avoid it in the first place, weren't they? Yeah, often they would just wait until they were absolutely ready to die. Like, until we, you're literally about to die. Like, you're on death's door, right, chop it off. Fine, do it. Um, but I'd read, like, it, as soon as somebody had, like, a, you know, like, um, is it called a compound fracture? You know where you break something and the bone sticks out? Yeah, or, like, the, the, the skin, the bone then goes through the skin. 
Yeah, they they knew because there was no antibiotics or antiseptics or anything like that. They knew it was going to get infected, so they would almost always just chop it off. Yeah, like, oh, that's it. You fallen off the stairs and uh, broke your forearm. That's it. Your arms off. Like, do, do you read about the surgeon Robert Liston? He could cut a leg off in twenty five seconds. Yeah, he was he was quite prolific at the time, wasn't he? And how fast <laughs> that he could do this, and it was he was known for his speed um, of being able to to get to get a limb off and then cover the the exposed uh, limb that was there with some skin afterwards, which yeah, the- turned out to be ahead of its time in like reasoning why they why it would then be more successful. But yeah, it sounds pretty horrific. Yeah, but the chance of dying from one of his amputations was only one in six. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really good. <laughs> Much better than the the average yeah, Victorian surgeon at the time. Do you want to tell the story about um his his um the, the worst surgery ever performed? So what they would do is they would have it wouldn't just be the surgeon. So you'd have people who'd be holding you down, wouldn't you? Yeah, they called dressers. They would like the pain would be so so unbearable that you're about to have something cut off with you know next well no anaesthetic that there'd be people holding you down, and this guy. What was his name? Robert Liston. He was so fast with the knife that he accidentally, he managed to nick the finger and cut off the finger of one of the, the holder downerers. And what then happened was that the person who was having the operation done, they got infected from the blood from the other person. The, per- the holder downerer who the finger came off, they also got infected. They ended up dying. And then there was somebody else who was watching on, an observer who died of shock. And they were saying that this is probably the only operation in history that ended up with a 300% mortality rate. <laughs> yeah, three people died in one <laughs> operation. Nuts. Which is pretty, yeah, pretty bad, isn't it? But I shouldn't laugh, so, but no, it did, make me, did tickle me that. If you jump forward to, well, no, well, we're in the same times anyway, really. So a couple of things came out of the, around this time. About the late 1700s, um, a guy called Humphrey Davy discovered um, what would happen if you inhaled nitrous oxide gas, which we know as laughing gas. So this is 1798. The problem was everybody just enjoyed it and yeah. they didn't take him seriously. And he was saying that this is, we could use this because you don't feel anything. Um, but it became a bit of, you know, became parties. People would have parties doing nitrous oxide instead of what he was saying. Similarly, 20 years later, um, a guy called Michael Faraday, who's a really famous scientist in yep. other areas, he discovered something called ether, which was like a, a mix of sulfuric acid and alcohol. And he published, he, he said, look, actually, you could use this ether stuff to anesthetize people uh, and then perform surgery. And again, what everybody started doing was just taking the ether, this mixture, yeah. getting the effects of the numbness and just, they, they had ether parties. Yeah. So these two things, just because we're going to talk about them very shortly, around the early 1800s of floating around nitrous oxide and ether. Both people have said that we should use them and no one was no. Uh, until about 1840, right? Yeah. So it was 1845. There was a dentist called Horace Wells and over in Boston, Massachusetts, he decided to try and use nitrous oxide, the gas to do a tooth extraction. And he was so sure that it was going to be successful that he got a crowd around and he wanted to show how brilliant this was going to be. But unfortunately, what happened was it was a complete disaster. And he removed the tooth 
the patient was screaming with pain. It hadn't worked at all. And everybody, um, you know, hissed and laughed at him and just said, man, that, that was an horrendous idea. Um, and he was, yeah, had to go away with his tail between his legs. Yeah. And then just a couple of years later, another dentist it's, it's interesting. It was dentist. I read why it was dentist. It was because dental surgery is obviously not life or death. Yeah. So they could experiment. So they would, this is why they came out of two dentists, basically a guy called William um, Morton. He, he did a different surgery. He used ether this time to uh, remove a tooth on stage and it basically worked, didn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and, he, he, and you know, actually I can, I can do this. This is pain relief. And uh, the, the guy's going to have no feelings. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so that ether again, that was that sulfuric acid and alcohol, but it did have its drawbacks. So apparently it was really horrible to breathe in and it would often leave patients either coughing or vomiting from it because of the the smell and the taste of it. It was also highly flammable, which in Victorian times when they had like, you know, those like candles everywhere was not great. Not a good combination, having a really highly flammable mixture with some open flames. Yeah, so if you then jump a little bit further forwards into the middle of the 1800s, a, a guy called James Simpson discovered something called chloroform, which I, I've heard or I'd had heard of actually. It was a sweet smelling liquid that you put on a cloth. You know, you've seen it, I've seen, I've seen it in films where they put yeah. it on your nose and you're like, yeah. you're knocked out. Uh, he realized actually, this is better than breathing in ether. It's not so, you know, it's not, it's nicer. But the problem with chloroform was nobody knew how much dose to give everybody and people were dying from it. Yeah, yeah, that was right. Didn't like you only need a few drops, apparently, a few drops on a handkerchief and hold it to your face. But if you give few too many, then that person will die. And I think the first recorded case of there was a 15-year-old, wasn't there, who just went to try and have the, the toenail removed, end up having chloroform and yeah. had too much of it and died. Yeah. They got better at it, though. They actually used it when Queen Victoria gave birth and uh, he got a bit of stick for giving her chloroform to help her give birth uh, at the time. But, you know, it was... Uh, it, it, but at that point, when I was, they're starting to realise, actually, they can put people to sleep. They can put people under and perform surgery. And off the back of that, more surgeries could happen, couldn't they? They now have more time to perform a surgery. And, like, that's where all of our knowledge of, of the body and the anatomy and stuff like that could come out the back of it because now we can keep people asleep for longer uh, and then do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It, that that whole thing where we were talking about that doctor, Dr. Liston, who was 25 seconds to amputate someone or to do something. Now, you've now got a bit more time. Take your time, look around, do a good job of what it is you're having to do because the person isn't flailing around in an absolute agony. But the the thing that they started to run into, so where they're doing this, these new procedures and these more daring operations, is it they didn't have antiseptics in place. They didn't have things to um, like sterilize and to, yeah. to make sure that things wouldn't get infected. So then people would then more likely to die from infections. Yeah. But that, that you know, that's nearly as where we're at to and it, until the world war, like the 1930s, as they're starting to like work with nuclear bombs. This, let's not get too much into this. All right. Uh, there's, they had to put something called fluoride into when they were working with nuclear bombs, and they realised if they mixed fluoride with with this ether that we went, but that was highly flammable, you could get ether that was not flammable, uh, not so explosive. And then this is sort of the 1930s, and they, you know, off the back of that, and then that that became pretty much the go-to uh, anaesthetic, didn't it? From then on. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and, then, and it's that's pretty much where we're at. 
yeah, it's it's not it's not changed a, a whole lot more since then. I know, yeah, Liam, you were mentioning some earlier around propovol, uh, fentanyl, opium-based stuff. And what was your succumethonium? Succumethonium. That was the one. Just so clear, I, I remember that without looking at it. It's not on my screen. I remembered it. Succumethonium. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so that's that's sort of the history of it, I guess. Uh, you know, back in the day, there were plenty of risks. And uh, and you said right at the very start, you know, people are concerned about some of the risks, or the, probably the two main risks. Um, uh, now, yeah, and this so, this would be pretty scary, wouldn't it? This would be... Yeah, w- waking up. Waking up in the middle of this happening. I Googled, do people wake up? But you've got the posh name for what it's called, right? So, yeah, this is where... Uh, so the, so the, there's two parts to it. So you've got the, either the waking up or just being aware of what's going on. And I've got it here that's saying it's about one or two people in every thousand may partially wake during general anesthesia. And the experience is actually called unintended interoperative awareness. Basically, it just means that somebody's sawn into your chest and you're lying there, unable to move because you've had your you've had your induction. So you've been, you know, put to sleep effectively. You've had your muscle relaxants, so you can't move. Um, you've had your painkillers, your your analgesics, but then you're just aware of what's going on. And that must be absolutely horrendous. So for those people who we said at the start, who are scared of that happening, it turns out that it is actually a thing. Um, and it can yeah have some quite long, severe post-traumatic stress disorder problems that come off the back of it. Fortunately, we were yeah. saying it's like one or two in a thousand people might get affected by it. Well, grim. Um, and what, what about death? It turns out it's not very likely, is it? that anyone died, you know it, it's comparable with airline travel i'd read like when you talk about like at what's that you know the chance of dying on a plane is equal to the chance of dying um with anesthetic anesthesia yeah Matt, yeah it's extremely rare isn't it so they're saying it's it's something like one in a hundred thousand uh of the, the odds of actually dying under anesthesia which um you know we were talking earlier about that dr liston his success rate of surgeries was one in six so I'm sure, yeah, thinking nowadays, having one in 100,000 of not yeah. dying from your from the anaesthetics is probably worth it, worth the risk there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but also, uh, similarly to the past, like, the surgery you're having might well be life or death. Do you know what I mean? It might be like you've got to have it anyway. Yeah. Like, if you don't yeah. have it. Well, similarly, when we were saying about chopping off leg, you know, that sort of thing, like, you don't want to do it because it's horrific, but if you don't do it and you die, you might yeah. as well have done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we were saying then about, um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, there is a, a chance you could die from it, or there is a chance of you waking up. This is where the anaesthetist or the anesthesiologist, this is where the anaesthetist, that's where they're monitoring you during the, the surgery constantly, as we were saying earlier. And they're deciding, they're looking at your readings and they're deciding if you need to have more sedation or not to achieve the desired effect of you being knocked out. So if you show any signs of waking up, you'll then quickly have have more sedation applied to you. And that is the role of the, the anaesthetist. Yeah. Yeah, big job, that. And then it's it's interesting then how they wake you up, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they basically just give you opposite drugs, don't they? They basically <laughs> yeah. turn it off and they can give you other drugs. They're called um, antagonists. They're like, they're just drugs to reverse the drugs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just... They're in control, aren't they? They they don't wake you up until till you're ready to be woken up. 
yeah, yeah, that's right. The anaesthetist is in is in complete control. And you also then end up having some, what is it, some anti-nausea drugs as well yeah. when you're waking up. But you can feel proper groggy after having your, your anaesthetics and really confused and feeling pretty bad for a couple of days afterwards. But there's, yeah. there's a whole load of things even before having it that you should do or don't do, isn't it? Like around eating and stuff. Yeah. So I guess where you've had the muscle relaxants, what happens is all the in and out bits in your body, they just shut off. And <laughs> what it means is that the food that's in your stomach can get into your lungs, which is called aspiration. Yeah. Um, and your body is basically breathing your own vomit, which is pretty dangerous. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's a great minute. Yeah, that, that is absolutely Well, you're in and outfits. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, I don't know. You know, all the bits are like into my stomach, but they, the door only opens one way. The food can go <laughs> in, but obviously that door is broken, so the stuff can get back out. <laughs> back up. <laughs> There's also, you might have seen videos online of people like talking a bit crazy after they've had their anesthetics. And it, it can what then can happen is once you've then come round, you can still be feeling the effects of them but you just have a temporary loss of your inhibitions so that's where some people yeah. can just be you know like talking absolute nonsense it's almost like being drunk isn't it like we were saying earlier like in the very early days they just give you some really strong rum do the job on you and then you you wake up off the back of it it's sort of similar today still you'll be in given something that just makes you go a little bit do lally and in the process you've been knocked out and had your surgery so yeah it's similar to drinking alcohol or what have you um but you just lose your inhibitions and come around talking a little bit bonkers sometimes yeah i, I read that during the crimean war do you want another little factoid yeah uh, go on. the head of the british army said that they do not want to use chloroform on the battlefield because his point being that if you're performing surgery and the guy's screaming in pain you know that he's fighting for survival so his argument was let's not give him any pain relief so that we know that they're going to really try and get through it oh that is grim yeah but it's grim if you know it's there and they're not giving it to you <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah on, man. yeah massively i also found a little myth around that around redheads so apparently which is you by the way in case you don't know ollie is a redhead so this is ollie <laughs> if you uh, apparently redheads have a higher pain threshold then uh, do you? I don't know. <laughs> apparently, but apparently, redheads don't actually need a higher dose of anaesthetics. That's like a, a myth that is just out there that just sort of floats around on the internet, but it's not true. So if anyone has said that to you before, it isn't true. So we're what we're doing here is rattling off all the other little bits of gump that we found out this week. So have you got an actual takeaway? Have you got one that, that stood out more than all the other ones? Because I've got a good one. Yeah, I do. I will let you know what my two guys one topic takeaway. And it did make me chuckle actually this week. So we, we've been talking about anaesthetists and, you know, how they're so important and they're learning all of this to then be able to look after you during surgery. It's a you know super important job. So I thought to myself, let's have a little look at how long does it actually take to become an anaesthetist? And do you want to take a guess how long it might take? So what's uni, like three years, but to be a doctor, it might be like six years, couple on top of that, eight, eight, nine. So it actually turns out that to be an anaesthetist, it takes about 12 to 15 years. Wow. And we've taken a week <laughs> to learn yeah. about it. Yeah, mate, I could do this. So no we problem. qualified now. Wow. 
That's a long yeah. time. There can't be many jobs. There really can't be many jobs in the world that take that long to train for. No, it's so so you need to do yeah, like you said, a, a medical degree which takes six years, and then you need to then study further and further. But there isn't a lot of um, hands-on training that you can do to begin with. A lot of it's very very theory based before you then yeah, put into then doing real life real life work. But yeah, so you about twelve to fifteen years. So go on, then, Liam. Tell everybody what's your two guys one topic takeaway. I'm breaking a record today on etymology. I've got another one for you here. What? The coming out of anesthesia. Yeah, the term bite the bullet came from. So it, it came from battlefields when they didn't have anesthesia or anesthetics. And literally they would go, you said earlier about biting down on a stick. Well, in a battlefield, they had loads of bullets. So it'd be bite this while I do this horrific thing to you. And, you know, biting on this should be fine. So, you know, when you say, I've got to, you know, got to bite the bullet on this one. Uh, you know, it's to do with like a painful or objectionable task that has to be carried out. Brilliant. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Biting the bullet. Oh, man. Again, just sounds horrendous, doesn't Why it? Why you lop my leg off or something? Oh, oh dear. <laughs> anyway. anyway, that sums up this week. Uh, pretty good, right? Yeah. Thanks very much, Hannah, for suggesting it. What an interesting topic to get into and have some sort of idea. It makes complete sense, doesn't it? You have your anesthesia, so you can then have your your surgery and operations performed without you being aware of anything that's going on. I quite like hearing some of like how it's got to the point where it is. Like some of those stories are pretty grim, and some of the the ideas that people used to, or doctors would try and use certain ways of, of coming up with some sort of anesthetics for you, punching you in the face to knock you out. How's yeah. that, how that going to work? But just how it then over time then came about. Um, and then interestingly, how there was the party drugs that people then weren't actually using in a, in a medical way for about another 40 years. Yeah, more importantly, nobody really knows how they work. <laughs> right? That's the NHS. They do not know how it really works, <laughs> which I thought was nuts. Uh, yeah, great topic. Uh, that's actually the end of the series, isn't it? That's our last one. Yes, um, it for, is. For series five. We've we got an episode next week rounding it up but our, our last actual straight up topic uh so hopefully everybody enjoyed it yeah thank you so much for listening everybody we hope you've enjoyed this week's topic as much as we have if you have we'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind just leaving either a, a quick review on apple podcasts or just the five stars on spotify we'd really appreciate it if you want get in contact with us at two guys one topic on twitter instagram or facebook We'll be with you next week for our wrap-up episode. We um, will speak to you in a week. Get out there and share some anesthesia and anaesthetics knowledge.